Hi, I'm Judith Zoe. Welcome to the Digital Period. The Digital Period is a public philosophy project where I, Judith, examine our relationship with technology by taking a closer look at period apps. I'm a philosopher and lawyer based in the Netherlands, and I've been working on digital policy for almost 10 years. This is a bonus episode about the importance of localizing technology and embedding it in society. When I started this project, I didn't know who I would meet along the way. I focused on getting the word out that I would like to connect with all kinds of people to talk about period apps. Last year, in 2023, I intended the Conference on Privacy and Data Protection with that goal in mind. The conference had given me a space where I could set up my mics so that anyone interested could walk in and have a conversation with me. There, I met Risper Onyongo, a lawyer from Kenya who works as a policy lead at the Lawyers Hub Kenya. During our conversation, Risper discussed the importance of localizing technology and also how that translates to period apps. She pointed me to the app Oki, a period app developed by UNICEF that had an interesting approach to this topic. And here we are, a full extra episode about localizing technology and what that means for period apps. In this episode, you will hear my first conversation with Risper that started it all. I also talked to Niken Larazati, the international project manager of Oki, and Ashley Rayera and Mercy Natsuki, who were part of localizing the app for Kenya. This has been really exciting. It's been an international exchange of information across the globe, and I'm very excited for you to hear my conversations with these amazing people. So first, I would like you to meet Risper. My name is Rispa Onyango. I am a digital policy lead at the Lawyers Hub, which is headquartered in Kenya. Excited to be within the, the policy space and particularly focusing on tech and how it's impacting the African continent. So the topic of conversations I've been having is peer tracking apps. Mm -hmm. And when I mentioned menstruation apps, a, a couple of things came to mind to you mm -hmm. that were relevant from your perspective. Yeah. So even before we get into the apps, the current conversation currently is period poverty. Yeah. So you find, for instance, in Kenya, um, according to should be the World Bank report, about 65% of the population, which is you know of the women, still have no access or find that sanitary pads or um, that kind of resource is expensive, and so they are unable to access that sort of product. Yeah. And then that automatically translates into how it is they're able to interact. You know, can they go to school? Can they go about their usual duties? You know, how do they function? So already the conversation is around, you know, being able to equip women to actually um, come to a place where these resources are accessible. But then before we are even able to finalize on that conversation, we have tech coming in and tech is dynamic, it's fast, you know, and it moves across board, right? And so because of that and because of how quickly it's being taken into the continent, we definitely now have to begin speaking about the apps. And so we are finding guys, especially within the urban setting, or people who are now, would say, privileged, you know, to actually have this kind of access, they're now moving into the conversation around the apps. But then the question is, 
whether they're actually cognizant of what it means to be using these applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is also not really a wider conversation about data protection in these really sensitive matters in my own country, I think. Yeah. So the conversation around, you know, is, is it okay or is, it, is this enough for me to just be getting this particular service in exchange mm-hmm. of all this? Is that okay? Is that enough? Or is that something I can do? Yeah. And I feel that sometimes I feel disempowered because you're dealing with such big entities, you know, you're dealing with big tech. And even if you look at how they operate, for instance, in the African space, something like either Uber or Bolt, if you look at some of the permissions or some of the privileges they get in the African continent, it's a much wider spectrum in comparison to, say, how they operate in the EU. And you wonder, is the dynamic, the, the power imbalance, or you know, what is that about? So even if you translate that conversation to no other platforms, like now the menstruation apps, and the fact that most of these apps are still foreign, yeah? So I noticed like Flow is based in the UK, but the data is being posted in the US. And again, the US is very, I find the US to be very commercial facing, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, and the EU is the more regulatory one, you know, rules, rules, rules. So if the hosting is the US and the flexibility attached to that kind of hosting, you know, what are the repercussions again for a user in Kenya? Mm-hmm. And I think it's really helpful to have more of these conversations because it means that we are moving from, you know, we are moving from just having the thoughts in our heads, you know, and especially because one of the things that comes up with, you know, using these apps, you notice, um, I read someone and someone was saying that some of the things you share on these platforms, you actually have never even spoken them aloud to people, you know. Exactly. So it's really sensitive stuff to you. And and some of it might not look like sensitive, but the fact that you haven't actually shared this information with anyone just means that it's so personal to you. And the fact that these people can then be able to leverage that information with other parties or you know in a particular way then i think that should be something that that's done in a very fair way a very transparent way to the person who's trusting you with this kind of information yeah yeah that's such a good point because indeed a lot of people i spoke to they um well they're not as aware of this but Mm -hmm. in the conversations kind of comes up that they use these apps because they are private as in because they feel private because they feel it's their phone in their own pocket it's their own phone yeah there's no one else involved that's how they experience the experience yeah but of course that's not what's happening there are a lot of people involved you just don't see them this conversation is really good because it's not begins to have the conversation happening for instance in the continent or in Kenya because another thing I've noticed about these conversations is we end up finding the same people speaking about it. So for instance with privacy the faces are the same. If you go to Kenya and you're asking for a privacy consultant I would almost give you the names that you're going to find you know and so the conversation is not trickling down all the way to who we call Mama Boga. Mama Boga is your ordinary person. She sells vegetables. So that is the person we allude to when you're talking about the everyday Kenyan. Yeah. So that conversation is not going all the way down to her and for her to actually know, you know, don't share this. Don't say 
Rispa came in and she was buying vegetables and tomatoes at 9 a.m. You know, because at the end of the day, that could actually, you know, inform something that happens to you. Yeah. So the conversations are being held in silos and in a particular kind of level, but we need that to now translate all the way down. So let's stop. Let's not stop at privacy professionals who are now going to give compliance mandates to say the app, the app users or developers, let's talk to the uh, to the users, to the subjects and mm -hmm. let them understand, you know, this is what you're participating in and this is how it affects you. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And so, so why, for my project, I started with the people who use the apps. Awesome. Yeah. Um, another question, because that's something that I think is happening in Europe, um, but probably also in Africa. Um, so in Europe, there's a lot of discussions about how can Europe kind of uh, become more digital autonomous, uh, and then specifically relating to the United States or China. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also something you see reflecting in menstruation apps, because there are more and more developers of period apps in, especially Berlin, but in EU base, and also because I think um, not everyone will know, but I think some people do have like an awareness that it might be better if the data storage and the data processing happens within the EU, so they feel better if that is mm. clear. Yeah. Um, and I also think that that attracts like, new kind of businesses to EU because of our own regulative uh, landscape. Yeah. Uh, and I also think it's important because also within the EU we have so many different cultures and languages um, that yeah, something from, for instance, yes, or China, not always really aligns with how people think or how people think, for instance, about peers, which is also like a culturally sensitive topic, yeah. depending on where you are. Yeah. And I'm curious to see, yeah, how is this in Africa? How, yeah, how, yeah. how do you relate to technologies coming from the outside and coming in? Yeah, I think that is also a conversation happening and mainly because we import a lot of our tech and you'll find this conversation in conversation happening with the AI situation and the fact that you know how the biases automatically are just mm -hmm. curated against us. And so the same even I think with these apps and one of the things I'd probably mention would be the issue around say data hosting or storage or transfer, you know, how does that affect us as the user? So flow um, is hosted in um, the UK but sorry it's based in the uk but the data is being posted in the us if you look at you know what that means you know what frameworks are they using for the transfers and then now you translate that to a kenyan user what's the dynamic there okay i think with our data protection act it allows for particular data to easily be transferable, but then it gives particular um, restrictions when it comes to particular data. And some of it is um, election data, uh, basic health data, um, sorry, basic education data. And I'm thinking, so the, the fact that health data is very sensitive and considering the volumes of, you know, that kind of data that is being collected by these apps, it will be very important to know how they are being hosted or transferred, right? So I think that's a conversation that should happen, but I think there's also the move or the call to have more localized technologies. So we are finding more startups coming up in our space it's a really, it's a very vibrant ecosystem now and we're getting more and more people 
tapping into that and kind of empowering um, these particular startups. But then I, I don't think I've seen many curating menstrual, uh, menstrual health apps. Um, there is one in ESA. South Africa and the builder was actually talking about how they can now begin to have um, the app in local languages mm -hmm. so that it's more accessible and even in terms of just sharing the content and helping the women to understand um, what it is they're going through, what their bodies are going through and just be equipped in that sort of space is something that she's trying to push for um, as a step closer towards, you know, um, having a more empowered people. So I think it will be great to have that move towards local um, local technologies, local apps that actually address us as Kenyans, us as Africans. But then also before that, then can we also begin to figure out how those transfers happen and how those hostings happen because of the sensitivity of the data. Yeah. How is the South, Amer South African app called? It's called Utero. Utero. Yes. Cool. I'm gonna look it up. I didn't. I haven't heard about it before. Awesome. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that you'd like to share? It's hmm. been wonderful, by the way. You talk Thank so you. well, one, and you're very smart, and you've been able to relate like this topic to your practice, to yeah, your backgrounds yeah. so quickly in yeah. this conversation. I really admire it. Thank you so much and thanks for the opportunity. I think this was really dope. So I'm glad we are having this conversation and it's actually prompted me to go have this conversation at home, you know. Um, maybe I'll host you at the Lawyers Hub uh, virtually um, or you can yeah, come that, over. That really, I would love that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we just kind of push the conversation a notch and also get more people, you know, knowing and being more aware of, you know, my downloading this app means this for me. Yeah. So this is definitely something I'd, I'd like to do a bit more. Of. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, I'm happy to for any future collaborations. And awesome. Up for it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. RISPR brought up many interesting aspects about period apps. Like many European countries, African countries also deal with the fact that many foreign apps are brought in. They might not always be in line with the wants and needs of the people using them, nor can they always account for the wide variety of circumstances that play a relevant role for the user. RISPR and I kept in touch, and she pointed me to Oki. Oki is a period app developed by UNICEF. UNICEF is committed to providing humanitarian and developmental aid to children worldwide. They also want to make sure girls all over the world have access to information about their menstrual health. I reached out to UNICEF to talk about Oki. I spoke to Niken over Zoom. She is based in Indonesia and she is the international project manager of Oki. I wanted to learn more about how she, together with her team, went about developing Oki and how she facilitates the localization process around the world. My name is Niken. I'm the Oki project manager. I'm part of the Oki core or global team. And our role is really to support the different diplomat countries. And can you maybe explain what is Oki? Yes, absolutely. So Aki is a groundbreaking digital innovation. It's an open source mobile application co-created with and for adults and girls 
in low and middle-income countries. So Alki really serves as a menstruation or ASRH education and period tracker app that addresses the taboos, their misconceptions, and also the lack of quality information surrounding reproductive health. It was built collaboratively to meet the unique digital realities of its users. Because Aki is gamified, it's digitally inclusive because it works offline. And ultimately, it also prioritizes data protection and privacy, making it a vital resource for empowering girls through menstruation or SRH knowledge and digital literacy. So some of the key features and functions that is included in the app um, includes a intuitive period tracking calendar that helps you keep track of your period cycle, also um, your period dates, and also a personal diary to record all of the different changes that are happening um, surrounding your body when you have your period, and also an encyclopedia uh, that takes form in short articles that covers issues on SRH and also menstrual health and hygiene. So Alki itself was a multi-country initiative. It was developed by UNICEF, but at the moment it adopts a social franchise license system where the franchisee will ultimately have ownership over the Alki brand. And UNICEF's role is um, expected to shift into more of like a supporter, a facilitator, including as well a resource mobilizer. Augie is also a, an open source solution. It is um, accessible for free. It's available as part of a digital public goods ecosystem. And we are uh, hoping that it can be accessible to everyone, uh, which can greatly improve and potentially even save countless lives. Mm -hmm. That's so great, yes. And why did UNICEF decided to develop their own app? Yes, the discussion about menstruation there's still an incredible taboo about it um, all over the world. There's a lot of silence, secrecy, and stigma. There's so much shame for girls uh, when they have their first period. And there's also a lot of restriction in terms of um, social in uh, a lot of countries. So girls are being told that they can't do certain activities. They can't participate in school or religious activities. They can't interact with people. Like, for example, I think in Indonesia, about 45% of girls said they don't have any information on menstruation. So a lot of them, when they have their period, they feel shame, they're scared, they don't know what's wrong with their body. So there's this gap in knowledge that we feel needs to be addressed. Um, so that's why, as I mentioned, we developed this app that's, again, hopefully answers the need for girls in accessing this information. So we designed something together with girls, but this is something that is complementary. We still rely on schools, hopefully, to be able to provide the information firsthand. But if they're not comfortable talking about it, Oki is designed in a fun way. So it delivers information in a simple, interactive, positive ways. At the same time, again, recognizing girls who don't have access to smartphone, who maybe have limited connectivity. So it works on a shared phone and also accessible offline. So it, uh, we also develop a uh, supplementary tools in a form of board game and also playing cards to make sure that all this information is also accessible for girls who absolutely have no connectivity or access to smartphones. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that a nonprofit like UNICEF also embarks or includes themselves in the technology space. And that's, I think, really good. 
what were the most important values that you took with you as a UNICEF, as an organization when developing this app? It's about empowering girls. It's about transforming those stressed about having their period into confidence, into normalcy, um, to embrace their period with dignity and to be able to make informed decisions. So what we value is the importance of evidence-based information. We deliver it again in a fun and positive ways. We make the content girl-friendly and accessible. What we're trying to achieve is to address myths that are circulating around surrounding period. And we want to start this positive conversation about bodies, changes, and menstruation. And more importantly, we value girls' feedbacks. So the app is an embodiment of what girls want to see, what they want to be able to access. Everything is based on their inputs, um, how, it, how it looks, how it feels. And it's very personalized because there's also these avatars that is accessible. Uh, when you create your profile, you can choose your own avatar. So it makes it look like a friend. We want Oki to, to be there for girls, like a big sister. Um, but also we recognize that not all girls are going through the same thing. Not everyone is having a regular uh, period cycle. So again, with Oki being an individual cycle tracking, we allow girls to lock their periods, to edit their periods. So we emphasize that Oki is there to help you predict your period. But if it's not how you expect it to be, doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your body. So we have all this supplementary information on the encyclopedia to help them to know when they need to seek for professional help or when it's actually part of their period cycle. It's part of their cycle patterns. We can also pause the predictions if they feel like their periods are a bit irregular and they don't feel comfortable being reminded that it's not as regular as other people. There is this option to turn that off as well. Uh, again, embracing that not all girls are going through the same experience. And last but not least, we also always look for ways to improve. Can you tell me a little bit more about how did you create the first version of Oki? Because also you mentioned that it was very important to include girls in the developing of the app. How did you tackle that? So when we first created the, the first iteration of the app, we go through several stages. So first, we did a consultation with girls. I think it was around 400 girls from two countries, Indonesia and Mongolia not just girls, but also their social circles. So that includes boys, parents, teachers, basically those who interact closely and also regularly with these girls. And then from that user consultation, we came up with a mock-up of how the app would look like. We brought it back to girls again and just, you know, double checking with them. Is this what you think the app should look like? This is, if uh, do you think these features and functions will be useful? What should we be calling them? So fun fact, the name Aki itself, it also came from girls. So yeah, we went back to girls and just making sure with them if there's any changes that they would like to see. And then we released the app and localized it. And on the localization process, we included a lot of uh, different stakeholders depending on where we are deploying the app. Usually it will include people from, from government sector, like for example, 
uh, people from the Ministry of Education, Ministry of Health, or Ministry of Women Empowerment and Child Protection, um, Ministry of Religious Affairs. So a lot of the government representatives who work closely with children and also education as well, because of course we want to get the app to as many girls and teachers and parents as possible. And then after we consulted with them, taking into account as well their feedback and also their inputs, uh, we created the localized version and we continue to, to give space to make um, further updates, further changes that is needed. And a new version of the app is always possible when you're deploying the app in a specific country. Yeah, I think the localization is really interesting. It's also why I really wanted to make this bonus episode because many apps have one version everywhere and maybe they change the language, but they don't change many other aspects really. While I think especially this topic is very, the way it's discussed is also very different in different cultures and how you can make it easy to talk about it. I think it really helps if you take into account what the social circus of a girl is, but also their culture. So I think that it's really yeah. interesting. What are interesting differences between versions of Oki that you saw that have been created since? Yes, so actually what I think is interesting, as you mentioned, we take cultural aspect very seriously as well. So for example, one of the deployment countries that is the Philippines, they have a specific region that's called the Barm region, where most of the people uh, who live in the area are Muslims, while majority of the residents in the countries are Christian Catholic. But they took that difference very seriously, and they actually made a version of the app where there's a specific page that can be accessed for Muslim girls. And the content has been created by religious leaders in the specific region where they have inputs of which content are more age appropriate for which um, age groups. So they really take that you know, difference seriously and adjust the features and the content of the app to be able to still give the appropriate information to girls in the region. So that is just one example that we have in one of the deployment countries to show how we take this localization process very seriously. Even the avatars, they're being made to resemble the look of girls in the country. So again, when girls are accessing the app, they create this avatar. They can feel that they see a representative of themselves in the app. Yeah, what I also found interesting, because of course I downloaded Oki. When you open the app, you can also be very specific about what kind of region you live in, whether it's a rural region or not, uh, which I also thought was interesting. I hadn't seen that before. I also looked at your privacy policy and you're very clear also there how you process data. What I found really interesting is that there was clearly some thought into whether account should be created and what the added benefit could be because some people might not have access to a phone or their own phone. So it would be more important to have your own account with the login details and everything. Like also in that area, I felt like there was a lot of thinking about how does localization look like and also what does it mean for privacy policy and what does it mean for my account information? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think we recognize that, again, not all girls have access to smartphone or internet connection. And we work with a lot of girls who are sharing phones with another family member. 
So we don't want that to be a hurdle for them to be able to access the information. So we make sure that there is an option for them to create their own account with password protected. Again, also we have this offline version of the apps that still have the same informations, uh, but delivered in a, uh, a non, that doesn't require data connection. What were your personal reasons to work on this project? I think personal reason would be my own experience. I spend most of my time in Indonesia. And unfortunately, even myself, I didn't get that much information from school or other institutions regarding puberty, uh, sexual reproductive health. The only time I remembered that there was some sort of information I received was when I was still in third grade. There was never really like an open and honest conversation about what it means to you, what it means that if you don't have your period yet and some of your other friends already have it. And also, as I work more on the issue of children, I see the um, how high the number of child marriages in the country and how it's very much connected to the issue of this misperception from parents, from communities that they assume when their daughters uh, already have their period means that they're ready to get married. So yeah, it's just, I see a lot of issues in the country that needs addressing. And I feel like a lot of them could be addressed through proper information and education. So that's the reason why I'm very eager for OK to be able to to be in the hand of every girls in Indonesia, hopefully. How many uh, different versions of Aki exist now? The launch version are available in 12 countries. There are two more that's being developed at the moment. And one of them is going to be deployed in Papua New Guinea. And it's going to be a little bit different as well because we, again, we recognize that connectivity is a big issue there. So the version that's going to be released is going to be a low-tech version where we will be doing a radio version, an IVR as well, the automatic response, you know, like when you're calling a bank and they said, press one if you want to talk to a representative, press two if you want to discuss about your account, etc. So we're going to develop something similar to that so that phones that have very basic functions can still have access to the information that's in the app. Because I can imagine it's very interesting to learn from each other in the different countries. Do you have sessions where you talk to each other about how it works and the differences between the different versions? Yes, absolutely. So we have um, a learning event, what we call a learning event that's scheduled every month. And we usually discuss different topics depending on what would be the interest of um, different partners. For example, the one we did just I think a couple of weeks ago was on monitoring and evaluation because I think at this stage, a lot of the deployment countries have entered monitoring and evaluation process. Most of them have deployed the apps. So now they wanted to see the results. They wanted to see the impact. There was also discussion about marketing strategies because of course they wanted to reach as many users as possible. So Learning how to promote the app is one of the key things that the partners need to know as well. But other than that, we also open the opportunity to connect different countries on an ad hoc base. So if there is added interest on how specific countries successfully achieve, for example, agreement with a government or a partnership with a private sector, 
that's something that the global team can also facilitate. Of course, we want the different diplomat countries to be able to, sh to, to learn from others as much as possible. So we also document these different learnings um, and publish it for the uh, partners as well. I love how UNICEF chose to not only build a technical starting point for a global community, but also that they continue working on building a network where people can learn from each other. I became very curious how the localization actually works in practice. Therefore, I digitally met up with Ashley and Mercy from Kenya. They work at LVC Health, a Kenyan NGO that is renowned for the implementation of health programs as skill in Kenya and beyond and they localized Oki for Kenya. Ashley and Mercy told me how they approached the localization process. Happy to introduce Ashley and Mercy. And thank you so much for having us. My name is Mercy Nzuki, a Program Officer Social Behavior Change Communication at Digital Health uh, at One to One Youth, which is an arm under LVCT Health. Also the Oki Kenya Technical Lead. Glad to be here. Hi, I'm Ashley Rara. I am a program assistant at LVCT Health, uh, focusing on digital marketing and promotion. I've been working uh, in the OK Kenya team for the past one year and yeah, helping with the visibility of it, the tech aspect and the co-creation with the young girls. Thanks again so much for being on the podcast. What is OK Kenya? So uh, OK Kenya is an app that focuses on supporting adolescent girls and young women um, ages 12 years to 19 years with information around menstrual hygiene uh, management. Why was it necessary to bring Oki Kenya or Oki to Kenya in the Kenyan context? What is the added benefit of having such an app in your country? Um, okay, so the reason why we brought the version of Oki to Kenya was because we loved the concept of having an app that just basically focuses, as Nasi said, on the younger, um, the young girls, because we have apps like Flow and all of those, and they bring such conk information that a young girl can't understand, and still has a lot of questions when it comes to menstrual hygiene. So Oki is an app that allows them to, you know, get all this information in, in a way that is very palatable for them to understand from the games that they're able to play to make sure that they can understand the contents they've received on the app to various aspects of the app that just makes it more relatable for the young girls. So having that also allowed us to create conversations around the young girls in Kenya on menstrual hygiene and also the young boys, menstrual hygiene, and also remove the stigma that comes around with, um, with menstrual hygiene in Kenya. And I think that's also really interesting because you're not just focusing on young women and girls, but you're also including boys in this conversation. Can you maybe tell me why that was important to you? Yes. Um, so it was important to us because we realized there's a lot of uh, period poverty, period stigma, especially that girls experience. And sometimes uh, the people who cause this are the boys. 
because they really don't know how to react when you, when they see probably a girl uh, their their dress has gotten this blood stain so they don't know how to react to that so most often than not they tend to sort of either discriminate the girl start bullying the girl so we felt if we create awareness uh, to even the the adolescent boys uh, then it they'll be ambassadors and they'll be able to also uh, champion for a lack of discrimination against period so that now the girls can be more comfortable. So that's why we felt we don't necessarily need to only focus on the girls, but also include the boys as well. Yeah. So in essence, normalization of a period, a girl experiencing period within a school setup, um, a community setup was one of the things that we really considered. Yeah, really great, I think. And when you started developing OK Kenya, how did you get a sense of the needs of girls near you? How did you, yeah, how did you talk to them? How did you start having conversations about this topic? We started off by mapping out the target audience. That's the young girls and boys between the ages of 12 and 19. And we first gained the ideas and the needs of them. We involved them in the entire co-creation process so from the beginning, understanding what it is they want, what is it, what it is they're missing, trying to understand what it is that they don't know, and what product we would offer them that they would actually use. And then also realizing that a lot of them um, didn't have access to phones, and this is a menstrual app. So trying to understand how to, you know, go around that and how to be able to not neglect the people who don't have phones so they can also benefit from the OK Kenya app. So we did have a group of young champions, menstrual health champions, who would go out to the communities, bring back information from us, we would sit down with them, have conversations with them. And yeah, through that process and through the entire co-creation process, we were able to identify the needs of the young girls and young boys and be able to provide it in the app for them. Yeah. Yeah, great. And what kind of things came up in these kind of conversations? Was it as you expected? Oh, yeah. In terms of, we realize actually language um, issues to do with language, because initially we had uh, started with the English language, but later on, even as we did the co-creation, we realized we needed to actually have a Kiswahili version. So in Kenya, we have two main uh, language official languages that's English and Kiswahili so if we thought uh, in, at the initial stages that the young people will be okay with the information dissemination in English but then we realized in the co-creation stage that they prefer Kiswahili so that was one of it and also now uh, especially with persons with disability we realized that we needed to do more in terms of ensuring that the, the look and feel of the app actually meets the needs of the persons with disability, which is something that at uh, the initial stages, uh, yes, we, we needed to involve the persons with disability, but then we, we did not know that for sure there's need for us to ensure that the look and feel of this app support persons with disability across the different spectrum because it's very broad. So we have visual impairment, uh, uh, the deaf, with hearing impairment so we had to ensure that it cuts across all board and the look and feel is meets all the needs of uh, the different types of disabilities mm -hmm. yes. yeah and how did you create a 
safe or safe space where people were comfortable talking about the topic because it can be quite a sensitive topic. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, how we did that is, first of all, we real, you know, with period, it becomes very easy for a peer to actually talk to another peer in line with that. And even for a peer to be able to like share if they are going through any struggles, for example, period pain, as opposed to them reaching out to us because we may be seen as as strangers in as much as we have really uh, heavily invested in working with young people and supporting them through uh, navigating health challenges. So what we did is um, we, we were able to work with the Youth Advisory Champions for Health. These are young people who are 24 years, 20 to 24 years, who are able to actually have conversations or rather they are at the community level and they already have conversations with young people at the community level. So we were we they were very instrumental in this entire process because the young people actually entrust them more in terms of opening up with to them. So we worked hand in hand with them for them to uh, sort of um, affirm the young person and tell them that it's a safe space, uh, there's anonymity, there's confidentiality, they can be able to open up and share any any challenge and anything that they would want us to incorporate in the uh, period up. When did the OK Kenya app actually launch? Because it's quite recently, right? So the launch happened on the 28th of April. Um, very exciting day. We had over 600, 500 and something young girls and about 15 young boys. And it was a very exciting experience. We had the girls come, they danced, they talked about, they learned about the app. Yeah. And and uh, more to that, we were very strategic in terms of ensuring uh, inclusivity of adolescents and young people. So um, in Kenya, we have 47 uh, counties. So what we ensured we do, and these counties, we have they are divided into regions. So we have the Western region, we have the coastal region, we have Nairobi and Kiambu and the Eastern region. So we, what we did is we were able to map out a representation of adolescents and young people from the different regions who are able to join us virtually considering the, the launch happened in the capital city of Kenya, that is Nairobi. So the people who are in Nairobi, the young people who are in Nairobi and the ones who are uh, in Kiambu County, which is just the nearing county to Nairobi, were able to join us in person. And then now uh, we had the adolescents and young people who are from the different regions join us virtually, which uh, was a total of 200 and 500 who came in person. Uh, this was also inclusive of persons with disabilities. So we had uh, mapped out persons with disability. Um, we had government, uh, people at the government come in. We had a representation from Ministry of Education, who was actually a, a man. So that was really good because uh, having boys in that particular space, it actually gave them more, more motivation to actually talk about or rather be at the forefront in advocating menstrual hygiene concerns. Uh, we also had a representation from Ministry of Health uh, and other different stakeholders come, come on board. Yeah, yeah. so that was uh, it about their launch. It sounds great. It sounds like it was a great day of a ending in terms of like the developing process, but at the same time also like a new beginning. And since that day, how did you monitor the process and the downloads? But also since that day, have you made changes to the app based on how people use it since then? Yeah, how did you approach that? 
So uh, in terms of monitoring, yes, it's something that we are very intentional about. Uh, so we've been able, um, through our strategic information officer, uh, we've been able to monitor the downloads and also carry out sensitization, which are still ongoing even as we speak, uh, in the different counties uh, through the support of the of the Youth Advisory Champions for Health, who are like peer mentors, uh, with the guidance of technical leads uh, across the different regions. So they are able to support us in ensuring that the offline sensitizations are happening on ground. And every time uh, they have a sensit offline sensitization, they're able to share with us through the strategic information officer, they're able to share the data in terms of how many girls did they reach out to, how many boys did they reach out to, uh, how many managed from that particular session, how many managed to actually download the app, how many managed to sign up, what were some of the feedback that they gave in terms of their user experience, their user interface that you can be able to utilize as LVCT Health to improve on it so that you are able to meet their needs. So that has, we have been very intentional about and uh, we are still continuing uh, to monitor the progress of the adolescents and young people. And most recently, we're able to do, with the support of Sky Girls Kenya, we're able to conduct a, free, a focus group discussion where by they were able to the adolescent the representation of adolescent girls and young women were able to give us feedback around uh, what do we need to change um, in terms of um, the, the questions or rather the, the games that we have and also be able to ensure that at least the app responds to their needs. So that's, we're able to receive quite a really good information from the young people on how we can be able to improve on this. And on the tech aspect and the upgrades of the app, we are constantly making different changes on the app to be able to better suit the young people. So from the translation from English to the Kiswahili, ensuring that the Kiswahili that we used is universal around all the parts of the young people in Kenya. We've been having a lot of discussions with the people with disabilities. So of course, inclusion of them in the app, more inclusion beyond just the avatars. So from the text, ensuring the text is visible for them adding different accessibility components like sound to it. Yeah, so it's a continuous upgrade to the app. Super cool. Great job. I think it's really interesting to hear how you have integrated this Oki app in a wider ecosystem of things that you do to improve the education around menstrual health. I think it's really important. And the way you also included different voices and different groups into this conversation, I think, is really great. Well, I have one more question, which is what are your hopes for the future? But maybe before I get to that question, are there any things that, I don't know, made you realize the importance of an app like this? We did once request the young people tell, to write us some stories on the interaction with the app and how it's impacted their life. And when we, the stories we got were actually very heartwarming. We had people who knew they had their periods and knew it was a normal thing, but because of the stigma that used to be around it, they weren't strong enough to speak on it and they wish they had the app before they had their first periods. So now just the thought of there is a girl somewhere who will have this app before their first period and wouldn't have to go through what most of us, especially, you know, me, went through before I had my first period and, you know, the stigma, not being able to know who to talk to, not being prepared for it. So now having this platform that, you know, gives the young girls that opportunity is just, it's, it's, it's a blessing. Yeah. And what are your hopes for the future? 
Oh, we have so much in line uh, and really excited. Uki has been such an exciting uh, experience, even for us, even for me personally as, as, as the technical lead. Looking forward to working with communities because one of our strengths as LBCT Health is working hand in hand with the communities. So especially the marginalized, the vulnerable adolescents and young people. So really looking forward to scaling that at the community level for even the adolescents who do not have access to us a phone how do they also be part and parcel of this experience and also get to learn more about menstrual hygiene talking about period apps has connected me to people across the world i feel technology only reaches its full potential when it's properly integrated and embedded in our lives and takes our social and cultural lives into account I want to thank Risper, Niken, Mercy and Ashley for showing us a way this can be done so that more people can learn from it. This was a bonus episode of the podcast series The Digital Period, where I examined the relationship between autonomy and technology by taking a closer look at period apps. If you want to learn more, I invite you to listen to all of the episodes where I talk to experts, designers, artists and just my friends about period apps and the role they play in our lives. If you want to learn more, you can also follow me on Instagram at the digital period or check out my website, thedigitalperiod.com. And again, a big shout out to Risper, Niken, Ashley and Mercy. Thank you so much for listening and see you around.